You're listening to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a podcast that explores stories inspired by the collections of the Lloyd Library and Museum, located in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. Each year, the Lloyd Awards residency to a professional artist as part of their fellowship program. The artist-in-residence has access to the library's rich collection of works about botany, natural history, medicine, art, and science to inform the completion of new creative work. Today, we're talking to the 2022 artist-in-residence, Audrey Bell. Audrey is a medical illustrator and artist in Detroit, Michigan. She earned her Master of Science in Medical Art from the University of Dundee in Scotland and has a bachelor's degree in studio art from Williams College in Massachusetts. Audrey is a professional member of the Association of Medical Illustrators and has received numerous grants and fellowships for her work as a painter and printmaker. Her project, Transformative Encounters, highlights her precision as a medical illustrator in combination with her awe for the natural world. Welcome to Between the Leaves, Audrey. We're so happy to have you with us today. Thanks, happy to be here. So let's just start. Tell us what is medical illustration? So medical illustration is the visual interpretation of medical and anatomical concepts. So that can mean observing a surgery and um, illustrating the steps so that other surgeons can learn from it. That can mean interpreting a molecular process through uh, symbolic colors and shapes so that people can understand something very small. That can mean creating an infographic so that a patient can understand the kind of care they're receiving. So as a medical illustrator, I work with Uh, doctors, scientists, um, academics, and the public to create, I guess I would say like essentially visual translations of scientific concepts or stories. And so you kind of bring together science and fine art, is that right? Yeah, that is right. And your background is in both of those aspects, right? Yeah, I I came to medical illustration um, not too long ago. I've been doing it for about five years now, but previous to that, I was just primarily a fine artist. So um, I did a lot of printmaking um, and studied a lot of traditional printmaking processes, which I think is part of what um, drew me to the kinds of... uh, materials at the Lloyd, which, you know, so much of botanical illustration is etching and these sort of um, processes that were developed to be able to be replicated again and again, and then maybe just hand tinted. But then, yeah, uh, I kind of took a turn and wound up getting into the medical side of things. And since then have been really working to sort of bridge, um, 
more and more like those two practices and and also you know I think that so much of going in that direction it feels like all of a sudden art is in service of the science which is great um but I've also been recently interested in also how science can sort of be in service of the art making I think that there's a lot of great art being made right now sort of in this space of being invested in the sciences and in like an ecological awareness or wanting to like process this moment through art and I'm really excited about that and about being a part of that. So tell us about your project. So coming to the Lloyd I knew that I wanted to make a series of botanical illustrations um, and I wound up in partnership with those images also making a series of maps and I wanted to make these images in a way that sort of referenced the history of that aesthetic both in the way that you know these botanical illustrations fostered our understanding and our inquiry of the world but they were also part of a larger project of scientific inquiry that was deeply invested in colonization and resource extraction um, and enforcing social and political hierarchies. And I didn't want to just treat these aesthetic choices and um, styles as neutral, but sort of engage with them and be intentional about that. But I would say that also botanical illustration tends to focus on one species or be a lot about extracting something from its context. And I wanted to focus a little bit more on the entanglement and interdependency of human and non-human species, but also non-human species with each other and not really in a particularly like utopian or like harmonious sense, um, but more just a way that doesn't separate humans from the rest of life on this planet or non-human species from each other. So I wanted to make these illustrations and maps sort of in an acknowledgement of how they've been used to allow certain human groups to use this land in specific ways that were often destructive. Maps in this context have been used by specific groups of humans to explore and then dominate um, this land in often violent and destructive ways. Um, but I also think that maps as a tool and the making and the reading of maps is something that we do when we're lost and trying to find our way. And I think that this time is one in which a lot of people feel very lost in the complexity of the problems we're facing and in sort of figuring out how to be a species on this planet. Um, I, I think it would help maybe if you could give us an, some examples so that we can understand, you know, what is on the artwork and, and the maps and, and how is it all tied together. So can you describe one or two of the artworks for us? So I spent my month at the Lloyd delving into the resources they have about species in Ohio, which is already a huge 
scope to take on, but I wound up making a series of three illustrations that are paired with three maps. And they basically focus on three different ecosystems within Ohio. So there's a forest pair, a wetlands pair, and a grasslands pair. And so, for example, uh, the forest pair, which is a collection of, I think there's seven different species shown in the illustration, and then there's like a map that accompanies it. So the illustration shows the shagbark hickory, which has been a dominant species with oak in Ohio since the retreat of the Wisconsin Glacier about 10,000 years ago. It's a mass tree, uh, which means that it doesn't produce fruit in the same way every year. It will sort of wait, and then as a collective, it will create a huge amount of fruit in one year, which is sort of an indication of complex communication within its own species. But then that also impacts its relationship with many other species in that ecosystem. It's a larval host for the hickory horned devil, which is shown in the illustration, which is a caterpillar that becomes the regal moth. Also in the illustration, there's uh, the Indiana bat, which has been endangered due to habitat loss since um, 1967. But that hides its pups under the peeling bark of the shagbark hickory and feeds on night-flying insects, including moths. In the center of the illustration, there are two kinds of lichens uh, which grow on hickory, which are essential for food and habitat for insects, but also nesting material for birds and also do a lot of nutrient and moisture regulation in the forest. There's the split gill mushroom, which is a type of white rot, which is essential for recycling wood and carbon and is essential to life on earth. And there, lastly, there's um, bloodroot, which is one of the earliest spring ephemera. It's dispersed by ants and it's been used medicinally by humans for at least hundreds of years. So you've picked things plants and animals that, where you can represent this interdependence, is that right, in, in, within an ecosystem? Yeah, I think it's both interdependence, but again, like not necessarily in like a harmonious way. I think that like part of what this project has been emphasizing is that there are, you know, interactions that sort of run the gamut of <laughs> maybe what, what we'd want to see, what, what, what we'd want to believe, how we'd want to believe that nature behaves. And also there's like some real, you know, relationships that start out symbiotic and become parasitic or just, you know, boom-bust cycles generally that cause certain populations to grow and then die off. And or um, in the grasslands illustration i have um the night crawler which is a type of worm that we think originally came from western europe and is now all over the world and is dramatically influencing forest ecosystems and not necessarily for the better so i i wanted to yes emphasize interdependence and how all of these things 
rely on and relate to each other, but also to show that there's just a lot of complexity there generally and maybe not tell a specific story about it. So you're representing uh, native as well as non-native species and some local plants. What other kind of themes did you pull out? Um, Well, I think that, you know, part of what the maps do is sort of add some extra layers to the relationships and interactions that are depicted in the illustrations. So in the forest pair, for example, I show the map, I, I show the area that was covered by that Wisconsin glacier that um, when it retreated, created the environment for that particular type of forest to grow. And then the charcoal iron industry um, is represented by the mines that are shown in that map, um, which resulted in mass deforestation of Ohio. Forests were clear cut to feed those furnaces, and it's estimated that forest cover in Ohio decreased from about 95% of the state in around 1830 to just 10% by the 1890s. So just complete change of... the ecosystems and obviously decimated other, you know, species that were living in those forests. So I have that shown on the map. I also have the maternity colonies and um, migratory paths of the Indiana bat shown, which use those abandoned mines as hibernation locations. So there's sort of an added layer of complexity of you know, things that humans have done that other species are using in interesting ways. And then uh, the land encroached upon by Europeans during this time through so-called treaties is also shown to sort of emphasize that, you know, this expansion of a certain human ideology had and continues to have a very human cost as well. So it sounds like you think the Lloyd Library was a great fit for you and your work. Can you talk about how the collections informed the project a little bit more? Maybe what what are some of the resources you found uh, in the collection? Yeah, um, I traditionally make illustrations from observation. Um, which was not going to be an option um, during this residency. So it really sort of pushed me to think about other ways of image making and other ways of um, using reference materials. So, you know, so much of using the Lloyd's collection was just having access to information generally and just the time to like get into all these books and read so much Um, so that was a huge part but then obviously I wanted to really get into the aesthetic resources that they had there so for example I got to go down to the basement archives with Christine who's the archivist there and um, look through a bunch of old maps made in the early 1800s, often depicting, you know, railroad lines or oil fields or iron deposits. And, you know, I don't know the last time that these maps were open. There was often, you know, times when we'd open these maps and all of this, um, like, soot would fall out from, like, the time when the library, like, they restored the library that was heated by, like, coal 
furnaces. And what they were showing was in some ways difficult to look at, but also was just, they're so beautiful as just an aesthetic object. And I don't think I would have ever had the opportunity to just come into contact with those image, you know, those images or those resources. If I hadn't been at the Lloyd, um, they also had Curtis Lloyd was famously a mycologist, and they had a huge collection of glass slides uh, from the turn of the century of various mushrooms, which were just so beautiful to look at. Um, and then, of course, in their rare books collections, just botanical illustrations from, you know. 1700s, 1800s that, you know, were both focused on medicinal plants in the United States, but also just were just such a beautiful survey of botanical illustration over time generally. Yeah. And then those images and those materials are what I ultimately referenced in creating the illustrations. That sounds fantastic. I'm sure everybody would like to be able to go down in the basement with you and look at those old maps. So I know you mentioned a few specific publications on the maps. Can you just tell us a little bit about one or two of those? One was from something written in 1552. Yeah, um, that book I really wanted to both emphasize that so much of sort of our modern classification of plants and the study of them is from a European framework. But obviously, <laughs> people all over the world has been, have been studying and writing about plants and collecting them for forever. So that book is a book that was written in Aztec in the 1500s, documenting plants of that area um, and their historic uses not from a European perspective and then it was translated into Latin and shared that way. I would have liked to include so much more of that um, in this project um, about plants that are native to this area and there's so much of that knowledge and those records were destroyed in the process of Europeans moving into this area. And so I, I really wanted to acknowledge the documents that do exist. What was the name of the one you were just talking about that was written in 1552 in Aztec? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to guess that this is pronounced... Libellus de medicinalibus indorum urbis. And um, the second book that I'm referring to is um, Die Naturlichen Pflanzenfamilien, um, which was written between 1887 and 1915, and basically at the time accounted for all the plant genera that Europeans knew existed on Earth. Wow. <laughs> Those are incredible resources just to be able to look at, I know, and so representative, really, of what's so fascinating about the Lloyd's collection. The title of the work is Transformative Encounters, and you've talked about this idea of transformation and wanting to represent ways that we might create a more positive future. 
Can you talk more about that and um, tell us about how that might be represented in the work, if it is? Yeah, um, I went back and forth a little bit on the title, but eventually landed on Transformative Encounters because I felt that got closest to what my experience of working on the project felt like. I basically felt like in working on this project um, and in coming across the ways that non-human life has been described and depicted, it was just such a clear picture of how Western science is often about dividing and isolating and treating species as sort of individual actors or assets more so than documenting these sort of transformative encounters between species and, you know, species and, you know, forces on this planet. And I was interested in documenting that or in in exploring that. And I also felt like ultimately that was a good description of my experience with the Lloyds collection and of getting to spend this time delving into these species and their stories and getting to encounter them in the first place. So I think that's reflected in the work. So that title, Transformative Encounters, refers to you and your experience with the project, as well as just to the transformative encounters that happen all the time in nature, both human and non-human. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. So is it safe to say you're, you're kind of looking at the past, but hoping to inform the future? Is that some of this? Yeah, I think that in looking at the past, it is so complex. And I think that often when we look at the future, we sort of get stuck in this like hope or despair about um, what the future is going to look like. And I think maybe there's something in that about being in more of a middle space, sort of dreaming up or looking back at how, I guess maybe, yeah, looking at how things are not necessarily utopian or dystopian or harmonious or about conflict and conquest. Um, Like I was saying earlier, there's relationships that go back and forth between being symbiotic and parasitic, um, you know, the acknowledgement that certain worlds and ways of life have already been destroyed and continue to be destroyed, and that also native peoples and cultures are still here, that there are species that disappeared from this area hundreds of years ago that are back, that there are, you know, new species coming in that are interacting with native species in ways that you know are potentially decimating those communities and there's also you know fungi that can eat plastic and absorb heavy metals and you know that all of these things exist at once and so you know it's like it's not saying that it's too late and nothing can be done. And it's also not saying that everything's going to be fine. And so maybe I wanted these stories to sort of exist in that space. So you talk about trying to reimagine a future where other species are 
as sacred as we are. How does the project help us do that? There has often been a tendency to treat non-human life as fundamentally just resources for the human project, that they have no value in themselves other than how they can support what we need. And, you know, there have been descriptions of um, the Anthropocene as being the age of loneliness um, because we are killing off everything that isn't human or the few domesticated species that we use for food and materials and labor. And I think that that is incredibly lonely. And um, I think that the more ways that we can treat non-human life as life that we just want to spend our lives with and share this planet with, that I, I mean, I guess that I think there's like great healing in that. So what do you hope people take away from this? You know, I think that sort of what I was saying um, with when we were discussing the title of the project and in this sort of being this transformative encounter, for me, I, I really didn't want this project to feel like I was putting forward any kind of grand theory or trying to teach anyone about like how the world is or how it should be or like what I think is wrong, what I think needs to happen. I think it's, I hope so much more just a reflection of my personal experience of sort of getting into these ideas and in learning something new and sort of spending some time just grappling with all of it and, and sitting in it and um, reflecting on it. And I, I hope that it's pretty clear that I, I barely scratched the surface of the resources available at Deloitte and also, you know, what there is to know. Um, and so I hope that this work sort of feels like a series of questions and ponderings um, more so than any kind of answers or thesis. Well, it's been really fascinating to hear you talk about the project, and uh, I can't wait to see it, and I'm sure our audience feels the same way. So thanks again for talking to us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really look forward to sharing it. Our guest today has been medical illustrator and the Lloyd's 2022 Artist-in-Residence, Audrey Bell. Thanks for listening to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a podcast of the Lloyd Library and Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Produced by Meg Hanrahan. Audio editing, mixing, and original music by Michael G. Ronstadt. Want to learn more about the Lloyd and its collections? You can visit online anytime at lloydlibrary.org.